little swag out them balls. Is that is that Bowtie Paisley? And welcome ah, to another yeah. episode of the Sartoyo and Geek Podcast Ooh, by Webster Style. I am your host, Webster right Style, and this is the podcast where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I am an avid sci-fi fan, and a lot of that was started with the introduction to the original Star Trek by my mom when I was a very young child. And luckily, because of that, I was able to grow up with the original Trek, the original couple of movies. But then, when Star Trek Next Generation came out, I became a full-fledged Trekkie. So, I watch every episode of Next Gen, every episode of Deep Space Nine. I'm working my way through every episode of Voyager. Because as Voyager went on later in its run, I was in college and where I was in school Voyager aired at like Saturdays at 1 p.m. and if you've ever been an undergrad in college you know the last thing you're doing on a Saturday at 1 p.m. is watching anything on television so with that that era of Star Trek is really one of the things that defined and cauterized so to speak my sci-fi appetite what I think sci-fi is and was for that day and even now it really defines the excellence in sci-fi because if you go go back and watch a lot of those episodes particularly later episodes or seasons of Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine I really think those two series really epitomize what Star Trek is and really transcend to today even with the dated in some respects special effects I think those are series that anyone can really pick up and watch and really get into because the storytelling and the character development are just awesome and many of those aspects are lacking in today's television particularly today's science fiction and it's really weird since we had that renaissance in the 2000s with Battlestar Galactica and other shows that came out at that time which really fit into that mold of building story, building character and really drawing the users in and it's interesting enough because a lot of the people who worked on Next Gen and Deep Space Nine are the same ones that created um, Battlestar Galactica's revival and other shows that came out in the mid 2000s and early 2010s that sci-fi fans really hold dear to this day we're getting back to star trek star trek has come back the movies were good ish Uh, that's another podcast and a year or two ago star trek as a series came back with the introduction of star trek discovery and Star Trek Discovery, which is placed in the Prime Universe now, for those who don't know, the movies, the first movie, there's a split in a timeline, which deviates from the classic original series and every all Star Trek we knew up until um, then, and that's called the Kelvin Prime um, timeline. The Prime timeline is the timeline with Kirk and Picard as we know them. So Discovery takes place in the Kelvin timeline. And personally, I have not been able to really get into Discovery. And I have a few episodes under my belt. And it's still something that I, I'm i not overly excited about. I'm going to keep giving it a chance because I love Star Trek as a whole. But it's just something I can't or I haven't been able to really get into and to embrace is Star Trek. So with that being said, 
when it was announced that Star Trek Picard was coming out, I was excited. I was over the moon just at the premise of any sort of continuation of the next gen, any sort of continuation of stories and characters which I personally love. And again, as I said, define my sci-fi, what sci-fi is to me. However, CBS has the bright idea to place any and all new Star Trek episodes or series, I should say, behind the paywall that is CBS Access. I personally feel it as a travesty, not just to Star Trek fans, but to exposing more people to Star Trek as a whole. One of the best things about Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, etc., is that they at least with Deep Space Nine and Forager they were syndicated and I know television is different than it was in the mid 80s early 90s when it comes to syndication however that allowed a wide variety of people to access this content and to fall in love with this content which is why Next Generation and Deep Space Nine are so revered today Voyager with it being on UPN obviously wasn't in as many households but it's was still on free TV and still has a very loyal fan base um, myself included in that to this day because of the sheer amount of people that it was able to reach because you knew a day and time you could just turn on your TV to watch it if you notice I don't speak on enterprise enterprise does not exist as far as I am concerned however the reason or the issues with the paywall is that it seriously limits access access to those who could possibly fall in love with Star Trek all over again. Yes, I know it's 2020. However, CBS Access is not a streaming service that many people have. If you don't have your Netflix, Flicks, your Disney Pluses even now, or if your HBO Maxes or your Hulus, no one is going to see it. I believe CBS Access at the some of the last numbers I heard had about four to five million subscribers for a service that's been around five or six years that's really paltry when you look at Disney Plus creeping up on 30 plus million and we're talking about six months of being in existence you know same with Netflix with the sheer number of people who are on the service them putting it behind their own paywall where it is not many subscribers seriously limits the attraction of Star Trek to your regular person that is into sci-fi but again I'm digressing on that subject Star Trek Picard was just a revolution to me finally something something good to watch some really good sci-fi in that vein of what I loved as a child and young adult and just seeing Patrick Stewart again Patrick Stewart Sir Patrick Stewart is a god he was born to play two roles Professor Charles Xavier and Captain Jean-Luc Picard and it's always a joy seeing him in either one of those roles now the whole discussion of this series is really going to be just what I liked what I didn't like and just what I'm excited about I will tell you that there are spoilers involved so you may not want to continue listening to this episode if you are trying to wait to finish the series for yourself but I will be spoiling some things just to let you know five four three two one what I loved about this series I loved the inclusion of seven of nine from Voyager I thought that her evolution as a character was really really dope yes I'm using 90s terms her character just a sort of cavalier nature and also 
the use of her character to really illustrate what has happened to the Borg or what happens to former Borg and the sort of travesties that the universe has started to use them for and how she's on this hunt to really bring justice to those who have injured and taken advantage of those individuals. It was really a great evolution of her character in my opinion. And speaking of Borg, it was wonderful to see the character of Hugh returned. If you're not familiar with Hugh, he was a character introduced in Next Generation where he was a Borg who basically after being on Enterprise for some time developed a self of sense self-identity. And he started to refer to himself as Hugh after continued interactions with Geordi and the crew and then was sent back to the collective. And I believe there was an episode in the seventh season where we received some sort of resolution with that character as far as what happened to the collective, at least the cube that he went back to and how his programming, let me phrase that, his self-awakening quote-unquote infected the rest of the board cube. And that was that. It is it was very refreshing to see his evolution as a character and what he was up to some 30 almost 30 years later so I thought that was great I'm mad that they killed him because um, I really liked the character but it was great to see that as well the new cast or Picard's new Motley crew as I like to call them was pretty cool I and I forget the scientist's name the blonde headed woman okay I hated her I will put it right there that her character her development it just it was I'll get to some of those and then what I didn't like but what who really stood out was the character Ravi Ravi is paid played by Michelle Hurd now Michelle Hurd is an actress who has been around for years on television if you've watched uh, Lord on the SVU she was one of the detectives on the very first season of SCU all SVU not SCU that's something totally different all those many years ago and she's had a very long career in film and television since then Ravi's character brings a whole lot of humanity to this series and I'll be touching on humanity a lot because the main premise of the series is dealing with synthetic life and the repercussions of synthetic life being created in Data and Soong and Dr. Bruce Maddox and all of that good stuff when it comes to the development of synthetic life forms and the consequences of that or lack thereof in some respects. So I'll be coming back to that theme of humanity and humanness quite often because I think the writers really tried to juxtapose that synthetic life form and their rights to live and their quote-unquote humanity with the actual struggle and drama of the human human characters in the series and, and Ravi is the epitome of that with regards to her when we first see her she's literally a drunk alcoholic and talking to John Luke you know upset with him for him just abandoning her after what happened at the academy so many years ago which we see as during the course of the episode and you realize she's hurt and angry but still goes along with him but you never get an explanation of why she is so broken why she is such a drunkard and as we further see her character and her motivations and come to understand why she is so broken and so sad 
it is it is heartbreaking but it's also the life was a watcher to see the development of that character and also to some ex- some extent and i will say why does that why to some extent as we go further but to see her dealing with her issues and her problems head on and even dealing with the repercussions of those problems once she um once she faces them head on so i i love that aspect of it finally seeing the what happens when the Borg are separated from the collective. I really love that aspect of it. I, I love the society that the former Borg were or had created on this derelict cube called the Artifact. I really thought that was great. And again, a great evolution of the Borg characters outside of the Borg or those who have been assimilated by the Borg outside of the Borg. What happens to them? What do they deal with? What do they face? What kind of scrutiny do they face throughout the galaxy? I really enjoyed that. Uh, One of the, or the last thing I really loved is that we saw some sort of finality to what happened after Nemesis, particularly what were the consequences of the supernova to the Romulan Empire what happened to them did they leave did they go somewhere else did they become extinct that was something i really liked having some sort of resolution to now what i didn't like oh my god there's so many things that i did not like first of all can someone tell me how there's a secret romulan society that even the tal shiar has nothing to know has no knowledge of that seems completely ridiculous and then it's very much like a religious cult and then they they are following some prophecy that they believe this synthetic life will come and destroy all of the organic life in the galaxy first of all it's so sci-fi cliche that really turned me off that whole plot point that i thought that was really extremely stupid however i refuse to believe that there was a secret cult that was embedded within the Tal Shiar. The Tal Shiar knew nothing about. Now, if you're not familiar with the Tal Shiar, I don't know why you've listened to me this far, but they are essentially like Romulan CIA in many respects. Military secret police and yeah. Also, kind of the opposite of Tal Shiar, the counterpart of Tal Shiar, are you telling me the Section 31 of Starfleet had no idea that these rogue... Romulan cultists had infiltrated Starfleet at the higher levels. Again, when your secret organizations who do all the clandestine sort of stuff have no idea that these things are going on, something's seriously wrong, which is why I cannot believe, I can't dis- cannot dispel belief that these organizations had no clue what was going on right under their nose, especially considering how we have 30 plus years of history showing how meticulous they are, how ruthless they are, and how in many respects all-knowing they are about things that are going on within both Starfleet and the Roman Empire, respectively. So that I find really unbelievable. Another thing I didn't like, Elnor, the Romulan warrior monk. Oh boy. And I am not familiar with the actor or his name at the moment, and I do not fault him at all. I think that he gave a very good performance considering what he was worked with. But Elnor's character was, in some respects, used to show Picard's involvement with the Romulan settlement after everything happened, or resettlement, I should say. And the sort of, it really gave Picard a chance to have a child. 
of some sort even though by this point Elnor was a grown a grown man but if you if you are familiar with Picard and you're familiar with his history you know that at one point he had a brother and his brother had a son and Picard never had children so that son was the last of the Picards well in Star Trek Generations there was a fire at the family vineyard and his brother and his family perished so essentially Picard is the last of the Picards so Elnor and that whole character dynamic gave Picard a surrogate son in many respects also one that became indebted to him by the warrior code of the warrior monk nuns that he was raised by on Romulus yes that or on the new planet yes it sounds completely weird saying it and it sounds and it's even weirder when you watch it and, and you see that but I felt that he his character was very unnecessary not so to the story but a lot of things that he did he was very much there to provide flashy action sequences he was also there to provide blood and gore when needed which I thought was very weird and unnecessary um, to this series and I think they did it just because they were on CBS access just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something when it comes to storytelling another thing that I didn't like was it's only 10 episodes long I really felt like the the new standard in television of, of 10 episode seasons can work for some series and it's a huge detriment for others and it is a huge detriment to Star Trek Picard everything was so rushed when it comes to the series we are here we gotta get there and with that you had some redundancies and also you just had you didn't have time to do very good character development on all of the characters again I said Ravi had very good character development even um, Sochi pretty decent character development but I can't really speak to that on everyone else at least not the sort of character development that you would get in a 10 excuse me 15 20 24 episode season of, of any series so I really feel like that was a detriment to the series as well and it was so rushed and really so paint by numbers and setting in every respect especially the last couple of episodes episode 9 and 10 like where there are major things that happen to Picard in episodes 9 and 10 and you knew exactly how they were going to be resolved by the time you got to the middle of episode 9 it was such a blatant oh, it, it made me so upset as a as a Star Trek fan but also as someone who enjoys a good story and I don't like being able to figure things out and it was very easy to see how things were going to end for Picard particularly when everything was said and done and it's a change that could totally and fundamentally change him as a character going for it well it really does he's really not Picard but that's a whole another conversation for another time and then the last thing that I'm going to touch on is I've never have PTSD okay I know people who have PTSD who PTSD who have suffering who continue suffering from it I'm taking a break because this aspect of the show really frustrated me to no end the continued depiction of Picard having PTSD when it came to dealing with the Borg and I'm not saying that's not the case but the level of anxiety that he depicted made no sense whatsoever he is having these sort of panic attacks 
to an event that happened 30 years ago. Now mind you, I'm not saying that people still don't have that. However, this is a man who Best of Both Worlds Part 1 aired in 1990, literally 30 years ago. 30 years ago, 30 years ago, out time 30 years ago in Star Trek Picard. He has 30, had 30 years of dealing with the issues of being assimilated. But everything occurs to him like it's fresh. This man has had numerous seasons of Next Gen to deal with it. He had a whole movie dealing with it. In this movie, he took down the Borg Queen. And you're telling me, regardless of what happened to him with being assimilated, for him to have had so much emotional deliverance, so to speak, from being assimilated, that now, 30 years later, after again defeating the Borg Queen, having the release of being able to Tommy gun a bunch of Borgs down in a holodeck in first contact, to understanding and become becoming passionate for the Borg is living organisms through his relationship with Hugh. You're really telling me that he's having flashbacks and pseudo panic attacks because he's coming up on a Borg cube, aka the artifact, for the first time in God knows how many years when he has seen plenty of Borg cubes, Borg spears in that 30 years since then. That makes no sense from a storytelling point of view or an or of an explanation of the character and how they've evolved. They've regressed, not grown, if that is the case. And the last thing I'm going to touch on, I'm going to take a quick break from our sponsor, is what the hell? Killer orchids that grow up into space and sap the energy from ships? They really were stretching there. Alright, when we come back from the break, after... A word from our sponsor Anchor, I'll tell you why I'm excited for season two. Yes, I'm actually excited for season two after all this. Considering all the things I didn't like about Star Trek Picard, I'm sure you're asking why are you excited for season two? Well, let me tell you why. It took Star Trek Next Generation a couple of seasons to really hit its stride. No, I am not saying that Star Trek Picard after season one is on the same sort of level of Star Trek Next Generation. It is far from it. However, most people will say that you have some very good episodes in season one and season two and that they were good overall. It really hit its stride in season three going onward with really producing quality stories and having a cohesive sense of self as far as the series is concerned. And I really believe that after season one, the creators of Star Trek Picard really can take the lessons learned from not just fan reaction, but also storytelling, pacing, character development, and really implement a lot of improvements in season two. So I'm really looking forward to seeing those sort of things happening in season two. I am not a writer for television, and I have no idea how hard it is to write for a 10-episode television series. I, I can only imagine how quickly you have to move things along since you don't have the added time of a traditional series length to really expand the story and to go into the subplots and so on and so forth. So I'm pretty sure that season two, or I should say I'm hoping that season two sees a lot of improvement in this. Now, one of the things I touched on or didn't touch on and what I liked was the recurring cast members, or I should say, excuse me, not recurring cast members, but the return of 
beloved favorites in this case Riker and Troy I didn't talk about that episode I don't know why I totally missed that part but that was really my favorite episode of the whole 10 10 episode season Miranda Service and Jonathan Frakes you know obviously are are those characters and one of the things that really happens when all those characters meaning Troy Picard and Riker on screen is you have this magic and something that you really had with the next-gen cast especially in those later seasons it was like they could do no wrong they just knew how to work together and the writers knew how to write stories to really bring out all of their strengths both individually and collectively and that is something that you saw happen in that episode with Troy and Riker with Picard the characters unto themselves you saw a different side of the whole drama that was going on with the synthetic life form debate debate you saw the direct effects of the ban on synthetic life forms because of the attack on utopia planitia on their family in many respects that ban cost them their son so you have a family that even though it had been years was still dealing with the death of a child and how the decisions and actions of some directly affected their child's survival and there was no hate or no malice but you saw that pain and you saw that loss even if with their other child their younger child that was still there and how she dealt with that and had grown up in that world and seeing how that interacted with Picard and how he very much seemed like that Picard that we knew of old for really the first time in the whole series. He really felt like a not feeble old man but just an old man. An old man that in many ways was trying to chase his former glory. With Picard interacting with Troy and Riker you saw Picard that was on the deck of the Starship Enterprise being commanding being forceful but also you saw him as that respected figure that we all know he was and that was very key to the story at that point because that's when Soji really started to give Picard her trust and mind you Soji had really just met this dude so I can understand why she didn't trust him but it really started to give him her trust and to have some sort of faith in him and what he was saying so I loved how these old characters were used to really point a direction for this new character and also to write Picard's ship in many respects. I think that utilizing these returning characters, not just from Next Gen, but also other Star Trek series that came before it, which is why I loved Seven and Nine. It was great to have the interaction with her and Picard, two characters that I've literally never met before in the Star Trek universe. They've only heard of each other. So it was very interesting and neat to see. But I would love to see what Geordi's up to. I would love to see what Worf is up to. I really would love to see what Worf is up to. I love to see what's going on in Deep Space Nine and Kira Norris, you know, is she major? Is she running major now? You know, these are sort of things I would love to see if they work for the story that they have set forth for season two. And I really think that these callbacks bring a different element to the show, or can bring a different element to the show based on how the episodes with Troy and Riker were written and how they were used to really propel the story. Again, like I said, it was really, in my opinion, the best episode of the series. 
And if they can make half the episodes like that, I would be great. Because one of the biggest issues with this series was everything was so fast-paced. Everything was so rushed because of the episode series. Or, yes. The first couple of episodes were, eh, okay. And then you get to the middle part. Like, 7 and 8 were really good. The 9 and 10 were like, come on now, WTF. So I think that if they really focus on our strengths... They can really craft a really well thought out, engaging 10 episode series for season two. And finally, why I'm excited for season two. More Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard. As I said before, Patrick Stewart was born, excuse me, Sir Patrick Stewart was born to play two roles in his life. Professor Charles Xavier and Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And then we all know that he will probably never play Charles Xavier ever again. So if he's playing Picard, I am all in and I will find some way to watch it going forward. Then we're going to take another quick break and then come back with our fragrance of the week. And we're back from the break. Now this week's fragrance of the week is actually, uh, I picked it out and purchased it just because I was doing an episode on Picard. And that is Star Trek Sulu by Palm Beach Beauty. Now, it's a cheapy fragrance, so I didn't expect much, but the top contains lavender, pettigrain, and lemon. The middle notes are water lily, coriander, and juniper berries. The base notes are sandalwood, amber, and white musk. Now, I have not had the biggest, best experience when it comes to fragrances that have juniper berry notes. It's not a scent that I've particularly liked over the years. And I've, again, I'm not a, I haven't tried a whole lot, maybe two or three over the years. And I haven't particularly been a fan. They've been okay, but not a fan. But again, Sulu was a cheapie. I picked up for about $7.50 off eBay for 400 ml bottle. And I have to say that I liked it. The Juniper was not heavy at all. Especially with the white lily and coriander. I barely smelled the Juniper notes. The lavender <clears throat> and lemon top notes. I kind of dismissed the pedigree because I won't really, I do not really smell that, at least with my first uh, wearing. One of the things with fragrances, which I love, is that with multiple wearings, you tend to smell different things. Even when I sprayed it on a tester strip, it smelled totally different on my skin than it did the tester strip. And I didn't particularly care for it in a tester strip. So once I put it on my body, I really liked it and enjoyed it. It is not, it did not project whatsoever. I maybe got a half hour projection if that. It is not a strong fragrance. It is a fresh fragrance. And especially with the sandalwood and amber, you kind of get a woody sweetness, but it, it's just pleasant. I wouldn't say the, the white musk is particularly powerful, but it is, it is a nice scent just to spray on, um, as uh, Ross says from TLTG Reviews, uh, uh, out of the shower scent is just a, a perfect one for that. Um, definitely, as far as the summer is concerned, you just want a light fragrance just to throw on. By all means, just throw it on. You just run it errands going out the house. It is not something that's going to garner your compliments. It is not something that you're going to wear and is going to last you all day. But it is a nice little cheapie, you know, especially for a Trekkie like myself. It's, it's very cool just to own. I think I'm going to get the red shirt uh, fragrance from that line. Eventually, I guess around seven or so bucks just because I... I'm, I love Star Trek and I want to have it so it's it's a it's a nice fragrance and for under eight dollars you can't go wrong with just having a scent to throw on but it, again if you're looking for something that is going to give you longevity a good sillage a good projection this is not the one at all and that's going to wrap it up for this 
edition of the Sartorial and Geek podcast by Webster Style. Again, I'm your host, Webster Style, and again, this is the podcast where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I want to thank you again for taking your time out to take a listen, and hopefully we will see you guys next week. Stay blessed. On the floor piling No one girl should fit it all in them jeans So take it up and let me see what's under them scenes Oh, you want to see Oh, I completely read that wrong